All right, so we've been talking about what has been our theme word for the last, like, 12 weeks. Faithful. It's kind of hard to tell now. It used to be easy which one it was. Now there's, like, opportunity gets your attention, generosity. If you don't have your tiles, pick them up today on the way out. They will be gone after this. If you write an email asking for tiles, we will just not answer it. We'll delete it. It is too late, so get your tiles. No, if you want, we can probably figure it out. But do us a favor and get them on the way out. Um, hashtag them with our church name. Hashtag them with our favorite word now, which is what? Faithful. Um, if you don't know what a hashtag is, it's the pound sign on the phone. But thank you. Anyone born between 1977 and 82 got that? Um, everyone else was like, of course it's the pound sign. Um, we've been talking about faithful. We've been talking the first book of the Old Testament about all these various different people. And um, what's been so interesting for me and what's always interesting about Scripture is looking at the characters that he uses to tell people about the gospel. And the reality is, if we read the Old Testament or the New Testament, actually, I normally will read about these people and the crazy things that they've done that God still used them. And I get very encouraged that he can use me too. You know, it's kind of one of those things, like, you just look at all the crazy stuff that happens, and you're like, how did he use that person to tell them about this good news? But I get kind of hopeful. But, but as we've been reading through, and, you know, I've been thinking about our stories that we tell. And I think all of us, if we ever had the opportunity, if a, a publisher ever came to us and said, write your, tell us about you, like, what's your life like? What a lot of us would do was first thing I would do, at least, I would go through my life and pick out low points. You know, I'd probably pick three low points or like four low points because the reality is a story isn't good if there's not like a conflict, if there's not tension. And so we'd pick our low points, but we'd do that out of the way first, right? Because nobody wants to really think about the low points too much. But then we'd go back through and pick out high points, and if you're a good writer or if you know how to keep people's attention, you want your high points to be higher than your low points. And there needs to be a few, like, there can't be as many low points as high points. And the story has to, like, finish on a high point. And that's just how we would tell it. Like, if you meet a person, even if you're not doing, life's not great for you at the moment, they ask you how you're doing, you say, you're fine, and you try to find like a positive thing to tell them because you don't want to be that person, you know, that's always like down in the dumps. But the reality is most of our lives like aren't well written like that. It just doesn't happen. And really our lives more are like if we had the discipline to, and there are people here who do, once you live like one day at a time and write about it daily, that's really what life is like. And what's interesting about that, if you did that, if you have a, a practice of doing that, you can't fool yourself into thinking that day was a good day because you wrote about that day. You know what you felt that day. You know the joys of that day and the pains of that day. And so in the larger picture of life, it's easy for us to kind of forget the negatives, forget the downside. But if we wrote about it day to day, we really do feel like sometimes the down days are more than other days, the up days. And, and, and so the, the reality is taking our stories and God's faithfulness, we have to know he is faithful in those days as well, in the day-to-days that don't always feel that great. He's not just faithful in 
the big picture. So today I want you to leave with the, and I, I know we've talked about this a lot, and I get to do it one last time, about that he is faithful even when we are not faithful. God is faithful even when you are not faithful. And so we're going to talk about three things today. One, he's faithful when it doesn't make any sense. Two, he's faithful to enable you to forgive. And three, um, his faithfulness enables us to be fruitful people. But I wanted you to give you a a few New Testament scriptures about his faithfulness. And there are probably some of you that want to write these down. So it says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, but the Lord is faithful for he will establish you and guard you against that which wants to destroy you. In 2 Timothy 2, 13, it says if we are faithless, he remains faithful. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, it says he is faithful because of our fellowship we have in his son, Jesus Christ. And so I tell you that not to say this isn't just this cute idea we pulled out of the first book of the Old Testament, but this is an idea we find all throughout Scripture is that God is faithful even when you are not faithful. God is faithful simply because it's part of his character. It's part of who he is. He can't help but to be faithful to you. And I don't know about you, but despite me hearing about grace almost my whole life, despite me fully understanding the concept of salvation, that he died for me and I didn't do anything to deserve that. I still live my life. I can still catch myself living my life in such a way that I go to bed at night wondering, did I get his grace today? Did I do enough good things today? Or did I not do um, enough bad things to earn his grace today? And the reality is God is faithful to us no matter what. So to recap we got to go through Genesis quick. The first service, I preached for like an hour and a half, and y'all get hungry. It wasn't an hour and a half, but I love saying that because your faces get really scared. A few of you try to play cool, like, all right, that's fine, but others are like, whoa, I didn't even eat breakfast. So way back in this book, we we hear one man is Abraham, And, and what's with Abraham, I, 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 it, God just like shows up one day and says, hey, you, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to make a people out of you. And Abraham's just minding his own business. And God shows up and says, I'm going to make nations out of you. I'm going to touch every person in this world because of you. And we know that promise now is Christ. But he just knew it as he's going to have to have a lot of children if he's going to have a nation of people. Well, the problem with Abraham and that God, he chose Abraham, was that he couldn't have kids. And so if the promise of God, if the faithfulness of God is tied into your ability to have many children, so you can have a nation, not having kids is a pretty big problem. Well, he gets older and older and older. He's about 100 years old. And I don't know about you, but at 100, I'm giving up trying to have kids. I hit that point at like 32. But... He's 100. He's still holding on to this promise of God's faithfulness. And, and so he's holding on to this promise, but they can't have kids. And one day, his wife gets pregnant and has a child. So then we can see his hopes get up, Abraham's hopes raise, and he has a child. But then when that child, Isaac, is about 12, God comes back to Abraham and says, I want you to sacrifice him. 
Problem. If the faithfulness of God is tied into you having many children, have nations that will bless the world, then your one son being sacrificed is a big deal. Your one son being sacrificed, period, is a big deal. But, but in this instance, the faithfulness of God is directly tied into that. Well, at the last second, God spares Abraham with Isaac, and that doesn't have to happen. And so he, he gets older. Isaac does, has two kids, Esau and who's his other one? Jacob. So we know that story, and Jacob and Esau have this contradictory relationship their whole lives. And they're just always like fighting, going at it. And Jacob, he deceives, which is his name, oddly enough, he deceives and steals his inheritance off his father. And like, what, what person does that? Like, 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 who does that? But you're starting to see one, one guy has one child, one child has two children. So we're starting to see this potential of this nation start to be. So Jacob grows up, which, by the way, was a crazy upbringing. He grows up. He steals his inheritance. He runs because he's scared, moves to a land with his uncle. He has a girl he falls in love with, marries the wrong girl, right? Big problem there. Um, decides he still wants to marry the original girl, marries them both. Yeah, this is like, it's always very, if you haven't read it for yourself, it's really worth the time. I just shake my head like, really? And so he, ha- so he has two wives, and then he has to leave the safety of his father-in-law's land because his father-in-law starts to not like him, and go back to the land where his brother is who hates him. So we're starting to see all these problems, all these opportunities, all these uh, uh, really just opportunities for him, Jacob, to doubt the faithfulness of God. But every time God is faithful to him, despite his best efforts to not be faithful to God, God continues to be faithful to him. So then he has 12 children. So we're starting to see some potential. This promise of Abraham, his great-great-grandfather, we're starting to see his 12 kids. And, um, you know, that would be good news, except for the first one, the first son has an affair with his wife, his dad's wife. So that's just weird, right? And then sons two and three go on a revenge killing spree and take out a whole town. So that eliminates them. The fourth son, who actually in the line of Christ, has an affair with his son's wife, who he thought was a prostitute. I preached on that last time. I'm not even getting into that again because that wore me out for like a month. But again, we see this faithfulness of God despite man not being faithful. And so the 11th son is who? Who is it? Joseph. The 11th son is Joseph, who we've been reading about, learning about. And what happened with Joseph, this brings us up to today, and then we can get into the text. Joseph was a dreamer. That sounds like a Beatles song, but it's not. So Joseph was a dreamer, and he couldn't keep his mouth shut. So he told his brothers about all these dreams. Oddly enough, the dreams came true, but that doesn't, didn't keep them from taking him, throwing into a pit, going back to the dad, told him he had died, and selling Joseph to the Egyptians. Eventually, he wound up with the Egyptians. Once Joseph moves there with the Egyptians in Egypt, he gets a job at a good house, The wife accuses him of making advances towards her, and he gets thrown in prison. 
He eventually gets let out of prison, gets a job with the king, moves up the ranks, and is in charge of this whole country by this point. So here's where we pick this up, and I'm in... I promise the other points will be much faster than this one, but in Genesis... Turn with me to 47. Genesis 47. And we're going to just quickly look at... uh, Verses 27 and 28. So this is Jacob. It's talking about Jacob again. And he goes, and he went to Egypt, because that's where his son was. And, and so he moved there. And he says, and they gained lots of things, and they were fruitful and multiplied a lot. And then he lived in the land of Egypt for 17 years until he was 147 years old. And after that, he died. Okay. So I'm almost 40. I'll be 40 in a couple years. And I told someone this morning, I'm too old to pack up house one more time. I'm not moving again. Last time we moved into our house, I said, I'm too old for this. We're not doing this anymore. Moving is the worst thing ever. And I pray, not every day, but frequently, that I never have to do that again. This man is 130 years old, living in his land that God had promised him and his father and his father's father. And at 130 years old, has to pack up his camels and move to, it might have been goats, by the way. We ever thought about maybe wanting camels? But at 130, moves to this land where he is not his home. He does not belong there. But God takes him to Egypt for a purpose. And I think this verse is in the Bible just to reiterate the point that sometimes God's faithfulness doesn't make any sense at all. And I think of us, we all, if we had time to talk, we would hear how we moved here, like Asheville, or how you wound up at this church. And a lot of us might, it might sound like it was an accident. You know, I moved to Asheville not to be a part of this church, to be a part of a different church, actually. And it didn't work out, like in a bad way, it didn't work out. And there were definitely times in this calling and the journey here that God's faithfulness to me didn't make any sense. And that's probably true of you too. But, but here at 130, he moves to this place, new place. Because God knew that that's where he had to be. That's where the nation had to be. Because there was a, uh, they didn't have the things they needed to survive. There was no food in the land. There was a famine in the land. So let me remind you that that trial you're in currently, and he's pulling you out, he, it may feel like God's, he's starting to punish you. And I say this a lot, but, but I'm pretty confident that God is not punishing you, but he's preparing you in this place. And it may just be that trial you're in, that conflict you're in, he's pulling you out of that place, not to hurt you, but to prosper you. Because that's what had to happen here. If Jacob would have left his people in this land, they couldn't even eat. But they had, he had to take him at 130 into this new country so they could eat and feed and flourish. And it doesn't even say they moved there to Egypt and barely scraped by. It says they were fruitful and greatly multiplied. And so that place you're at of struggle and of trial, I know, first of all, your reaction is to pray and ask, why am I going through this, God? And let me reassure you, that's a completely appropriate prayer all throughout Scripture. God is not offended with your questions. 
And he's not, his feelings don't get hurt if you get a little bit sassy with him. He wants you to ask those. Like he wants to know what's on your heart. One, he already knows. But two, he wants you to draw near to him in that and ask him those questions. And then the other part is I want to remind you that he has good plans for you. These, um, these make, again, back to this story, like your trials. Yeah, I know sometimes we, we, we all like say, I don't have a good testimony. Because we weren't like smoking crack in the past or something. Or we didn't have this great thing. Like, like we don't have a rags to riches like Joseph. Can you imagine meeting him at a party, Joseph at a party? It'd be awesome, right? He'd be dressed like a king, first of all. So that'd be kind of cool. But he would tell you, yeah, I was in a pit once, and um, here I am today. And he'd be one of those guys you thought weren't telling the truth. Like, he's probably exaggerating just to get my attention. But no, no, he really was in a pit and got sold into these different people who finally wound up in Egypt. And, like, we all want that story for ourselves, right? But what we don't know about Joseph is that, yes, he was in a pit, and, yes, he's now works with the king, but he had once had a job at a house and got falsely accused and was in jail a long time. And so, so as we look at these stories, even our own lives, it's not always the broad picture that we know that God's faithful. I think most of us can convince ourselves he's faithful in the big picture, but it's in the day-to-day that often it's hard for us. And I want to remind you that he is faithful, but sometimes his faithfulness just doesn't make any sense. So then we go on to Genesis uh, 50. And I got to tell you, like, I, I'm, I, I'm really excited about this part right here. Because what I've called this is God's faithfulness enables man's forgiveness. And I firmly believe that there are some people here today that have been carrying around a wound that you can leave here today and it can be healed. And this wound that you have, you know, it doesn't like constantly come up, but it comes up a lot. And you know it affects how you think about certain things. You know how, you know it affects how you do things. But check out what happens here. So remember Joseph, he's thrown in a pit. So we just heard of his dad about what happens with Jacob. Jacob's there, that last text we read. He's on his deathbed. He gathers all his sons together and he prays over them. He gives them what they need. He prays over them. He, he, he wants them to prosper. Then he dies. So check this out. 50-15, it says this. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that now he will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we have done to him. So the 10 brothers get concerned all of a sudden. Because remember, these are the same guys who threw him in a pit, told daddy was dead, and sold him into slavery. Now that dad is dead, they think, oh gosh, Joseph's going to get revenge finally. And Joseph has every ability to get whatever revenge 
he wants right now. He's got all the riches in the world, all the power in the world. He has all the food. He has everything you need to get revenge on people is at his disposal. And the brothers panic. And so they sent a message to Joseph and said, Your father, which I find hilarious, not our father, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgressions of your brothers with their sin because they did evil to you. Does anyone else say, boy, that's convenient. Hey, hey, Joe, I talked to dad right before he died. Um, he wants you to forgive us. Never mind the fact that Joseph literally was just on his father's deathbed with his, his sons and they had plenty of time to talk. Like, never mind that fact. So they, hey, let's send this message to Joseph. Let's see if he buys it. Um, if you're Joseph right now, this is a pretty sweet moment, isn't it? I mean, the evil part of me, everyone's looking at me, you got one? Yeah, you do too. <laughs> the evil part of me is like, well, 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 what have we here? Like, I wouldn't wipe them out, but I might want to make them pay a little bit, right? Just maybe a little discomfort wouldn't be bad for them. You know, maybe then they would learn their lesson. Like, don't throw your brother in a pit and sell him into slavery. It says here, I mean, because, like, wouldn't that, like, isn't that justice to make them pay? Because, like, so far they've gotten away with this. Their whole lives, like 40, 50 years of just getting away with throwing your brother in a pit and selling him into slavery. But it says, Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But then next is 18. And then they also came and fell down before him, which shows repentance. And behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of He goes, of our heavenly father. And then he carries on, as for you, what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good, to bring out many people that we should keep them alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to him. He had every right to react to them the exact opposite way than he did. But at some point in Joseph's life, we don't know whether it was in the pit or in the prison or on when he was ruling the land of Egypt. At some point, he took the wrong that they had done to him and held it up to God. And let God's truthfulness about his faithfulness be revealed to him through that pain. And when your reaction, when someone comes to you and says, hey, dad said to forgive us, but he wept when he spoke to them. The truth is, he didn't do it at that point. He had done this years before this. And I love that last verse in 21. It says, thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Like, that's redemption. And I want to encourage you, you know, um, I'll tell this. I was in college when my parents, like, you know, I moved away to college. And, like, you know, my last couple years of high school, I'm like, my parents don't really like each other anymore 
you know, it's concerning, but you're, you're a teenager, so you don't pay much attention. And then you moved away to college, and I'm like, man, like every time I'd come home for break, it was worse and worse. And then last time I came home, like they don't even really talk to each other anymore, so that's a pretty bad sign. So I knew what was coming, and before too long, sure enough, they called, mom called probably, and said, hey, we're getting a divorce. And they, they were very much at peace with it at this point. I wasn't, of course, because I'm just finally starting to think about it. But I just remember, and I'm an internal processor. I know there's others here that do that. Before I speak, I probably have thought through everything I want to say and how I feel about it and all that stuff. So I had lots of time at, as I processed it at college and thought about it. And my biggest thing, my biggest hangout was they told each other they loved each other for all those years. And they told their children the exact same thing. But now they're taking back that love they used to have. Could they do that with their children as well? And I was 20. Like, I wasn't a kid. I was 20 years old and dealing with love and the definition of love. And if you've ever been there, like in whatever situation, what is love, heartbreak in any way, that's a deep, deep conversation you're having with yourself. What is love? Do I know what love is? How does it react? Is it conditional? All that stuff. And I really wrestled for a long time with that. And, and it, without a doubt, your parents going through that, it hurts. And they, they did wrong in that. And I remember coming to this point, God just, he, he revealed that like, you've got to forgive them. And, and I was like, okay, well, I'll get there. And I did. And then he said, and you've got to talk to them. And I'm like, well, that sounds absurd. So when I went home the next time, probably spring break, I, I called them up, made an appointment with them, which sounds funny to do with your parents. But, you know, I did it casually, acted like it was no big deal. So I remember having those conversations. And in those conversations, I didn't say, I forgive you, because they didn't even know I was there. They didn't even know they needed that from me. But I did tell them I loved them. And I gave to them love that I hope I could get back from them. And I tell you that not to say not it's, it's just a sad thing. I'm pretty close to them now. And that happened almost 20 years ago. But without that forgiveness and conversation, the relationship wouldn't be possible, at least not as it is today. And I know mine is one story. Everyone here has a different. But probably, probably, you can pinpoint a place in your life that you know you were deeply wounded and hurt. And it may have happened one time or it may have happened dozens of times. But that wound you've been carrying around with you. And Joseph is one of those people. He was wounded deeply by the people he was supposed to love him the most. And at some point he was able to hold that wound up to God and hold it up to the light and the redemption and the faithfulness of God and let God do that work. And so I want to challenge you today to just let God do that. Um, to not leave here until you've held that up to the light of God, up to the gospel, and let him begin to work in that. And I'm not discrediting your hurt, and I'm not saying it's going to be one of these quick things and you're all done with it. I don't know what your hurt is. But I know that he's able to forgive that um, and bring you to the point of being able to forgive. And you may never get to tell the person. I still haven't told them after all these years that I forgave them of that. But it hasn't come up, but I don't need to. Just like here, he waited till they walked into him and he wept with them and, and reassured them, I love you, I'm going to care for you. And I just want to encourage you to do that today. Like if that's you, if you know the Holy Spirit's working in you to deal with that, let me, let me ask you to just do that. 
I think you want that. So finally, I'm going to talk about the faithfulness of God is man's fruitfulness. So there's this story. So what happens after this? Joseph and they all live in Egypt together for about 430. <laughs> they live there a long time, 430 years, actually. And this little family becomes a nation of millions of people. And it's finally time for God to move them from this place of Egypt into their promised land that they came from. And he's going to move them back. And if you know the story, great. If not, I'll recap it. So they go out into the, this new land, and they're supposed to take this land right away. So 12 men are sent into the land to go in to check it out. Well, 10 men come back and say, it's too scary. The people are too big. We can't do the land. We can't take it. But two men come back. One is Caleb. And I love Caleb. And he's one of the guys, few characters in the scripture who seems to have a life of faithfulness from start to finish. One of the very, very few, actually. And so, but Caleb comes back and says, you know what? The people are big, but the food's bigger. God is even bigger than that. Let's go and take what we're supposed to take. But because of the disobedience of the people, then he was set to wander. All the people were set to wander in the wilderness for 45 years. So this whole generation of people walks around this wilderness for 40 years, about 45 years. And they all die off except Caleb. So Caleb is 85 years old. 85. So think of your favorite 85-year-old. 85 years old. He goes, I saw this land when I was 40. Now at 85, I'm ready to go take this land. And he's dressed like a warrior. He's serious about this. And he says, so let's go and take what we're supposed to take. And, and he says, I'm as strong today as I was back then. I don't know if he's just talking big, but I have a feeling he's talking about the faithfulness of God in this. And he, his confidence is in the faithfulness of God, of despite his age and despite him maybe not being in peak physical performance to go into battle. He knows that God's faithfulness. And Caleb got to see his land. He got to take what was rightfully his. And so we talk a lot about the faithfulness of God and how he's faithful when we're not faithful. And that's 100% true. But I also want to encourage you to be just a faithful person. As God has called you, as he calls you into these tough spots in these places of obedience and to new places that might be a little scary for you. I just want to encourage you that God's faithfulness means our fruitfulness. And so if you have a promise that he's given to you at some point, I want you to, I want to bring that back up in your thought. Like if you've had a call that you've been kind of not keeping at the forefront, I want to bring that back up within you. Because God's faithfulness means man's fruitfulness. I'm going to do a, a response today, an invitation today. For some of you, that's an old school word that means you're going to react to what God is teaching you. And let me, first of all, uh, let me be clear that you're not reacting to my teaching or anything else. You're reacting to what God is doing within you. But I do want to give two opportunities. One, is I want to give an opportunity to those of you who call yourselves followers of Jesus and you've been dealing with something in this faithfulness. 
Like God's, every time you're here, maybe even at home or in the car, as you're thinking through what God's been teaching you, there's something about this faithfulness thing that, that you're, you, he's been working on you with, but you've been maybe putting it off a little bit. You know, and I don't know, but I make promises to God sometimes, which he never really cares much about. He just wants me and not my promises. But we try to do certain things to kind of appease God and stuff like that. But, but let's, let's get past that stuff today. Like that root issue that he's been talking to you about. I want to encourage you to deal with that today. So in a minute when we pray, I'm going to give you a chance to just to respond to that. But then there's those of you who are you're hearing about this faithfulness of God. And it's a bit of a foreign idea because you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And it would be unfortunate if I were to speak about all this today and not give you a chance to respond to this as well. And so essentially what you would do is just say, I know God's faithful to me when I'm not faithful to him, but I want that faithfulness. I want to be a child of him. And we can talk about what that means afterwards, but I want to give you that invitation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and if you want me to pray with you or for you specifically, you're just going to rise in your seat. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not going to go out to you. Everyone's eyes are going to be closed. No one will know it's you. If you're really sneaky, you can stand up with the person beside you that won't even know. Um, that's a joke, guys. You can, it's okay. But I want to give you a chance to respond to that. Um, again, to what God's doing, not to what I'm calling you to do. So let's pray.